Good morning, Zoe. That was some fantastic worship. Uh, but what makes it special is not just the fantastic singing and fantastic instrument playing, but it's our hearts lifted up to the Lord. I love that last song about all I want is for you, meaning God, to be glorified, to be lifted up. And when that is our heart's desire, man, that is when God does the most. I'm thrilled to be here this Sunday. I'm thrilled to be alive. I'm thrilled to have breath in my lungs to praise the Lord. And we know, you know, and I know that we also worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings, through our giving. And, and before we do it, I just want to acknowledge a few things because, you know, we, we do talk about giving every Sunday. It's a it's a it's something we do unto the Lord, but it's also something from a practical perspective that allows us to do ministry. I first of all, with respect to that, I want to say thank you to all those who volunteered yesterday as we gave we, we served, I believe, 200, 273 families uh, with food yesterday. And we were so thrilled to do that. We had uh, about 40 volunteers who came, I think, on relatively short notice to serve. And it's, it's a fantastic thing to do um, just to show how good God is and to bless other people. It's just fantastic. So so so, of course, when you give to the Lord and when you give to this church, those are the kind of events that we're able to put on and serve the community. I'm going to let you know about something else. One of the other things we're doing as a church, uh, it may seem a little bit more more mundane because it has to do with our building. But because we maintain our building, it is something that we are able to open up for service to the community. One of the ways we've done that is to open up our building for training for the county to train people with respect to the elections and the uh, election workers and all those other kind of things. We have something fantastic going on in our county right now where we are the, the L.A. County and California really is 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 uh, launching some new technology with respect to this election to make it easier, to make it faster and all those other kind of things. And our church has been hosting that those trainings which have been going on since March um, I want you to be in prayer with us uh, specifically because I've inquired, in fact, yesterday to see if we could become a voting site. That's not guaranteed yet, but I inquired about it and they said there's a possibility. So be in prayer with respect to that. But I'm saying that to let you know, these are the, some of the things that we're doing to serve you, to serve the community. So as you give your tithes and offerings, it expands our reach. With that said, will you pray with me? We want God to bless our resources as we give to him come with me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you and praise you for this opportunity to humble ourselves before you and to recognize that you are our source. Uh, You uh, give us our strength. You give us our power. And so, Lord, we take what we have earned uh, and we give it to you, Lord God. And we thank you that we don't have to worry about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, or any of the ongoing cost of living matters that we face day to day. But Lord, we know that you take care of us. And so we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And we thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm excited this morning to get into the message. It's part two of our series called Politics and Policing. What's a Christian to do? And I tell you, I'm, I'm primed. We're, we're going to eat this morning. You know, the, the Bible talks about, well, the word tells us that when you get the word, it's like food. And 
You know, I recall when I was doing some ministry training a few years ago, and I got to participate in Dr. Jack Hayford's School of Pastoral Nurture. Uh, those of you, many of you know him. Those of you who don't, he's, he's an icon in ministry, and he just has high, a high degree of respect across several different Christian uh, streams. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be a part of his ministry training. And I remember asking him a question. And I said, you know, I, I, I know what a shepherd is technically. I know what a pastor is technically, but I've never actually physically tended sheep. And there's a correlation with respect to my calling. And I asked him, I said, what is a shepherd? And when I asked him the question, he looked at me and he sat down. Now, understand that Dr. Pastor Jack Hayford is, is, is older and he was actually recovering from, from, from an illness. But um, he said, I'm not sitting down because uh, I'm tired or anything like that. He said, I was struck by the question. And he, res- he, he said a lot of uh, things beyond that. But the first thing he said is that a pastor's job is to lead and feed, to lead and feed. And then he began to expound. And with that question, he, he took my question seriously and began to expound. And I take the calling seriously to lead and to feed. Likewise, I indicated last week that my question, my sermon was in part inspired by someone else, a young person giving me a question. She asked, how do I deal with the police? And that question, just as my question struck Jack Hayford, Pastor Hayford, with 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 a, a deep sense of having to respond. Her question struck me with a deep sense of having to respond. So today I say all that to say we're going to eat this morning and I'm going to ask. I'm going to need about 45 minutes of your time. Usually we told her to try to go about 35 minutes, but today we're going to eat. This is the Sunday we have not 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 toast and orange juice, but biscuits and pancakes. I said it uh, bacon and sausage. Grits and hash browns. We're going to get into the word today. I got the notes set up, so I want you to to get set up wherever you are. We're going to dig into this topic and explore what a Christian is to do as we embrace and engage with police and politics. Last week, we addressed a hard truth. But as Dr. A.R. Bernard says, all truth is confrontational. With the outrage that many have about police conduct, you might have been expecting a public bashing of law enforcement. In a sermon about policing, you might have expected me to be demonstrative in my own outrage. Perhaps you imagine a presentation not unlike Jesus when he expressed anger at the charlatans who desecrated God's temple. There's a place for that kind of passion that Jesus expressed in that moment in Scripture and in time. Those of you who've paid attention have seen this passion expressed in my own teaching. I've not minced words in my disgust about racial injustice, particularly the kind that's been leveled against African-Americans. Both in and outside the pulpit, I've actively challenged systems, systemic racism and institutional injustice. Some of you have even followed the national platform I'm currently building to address the needs of African-Americans on a larger scale. In light of that, there are some who are waiting for me to get to the quote unquote good stuff, which for them, ironically, is about how to address evil. That is, they want to know how to stop evil people from doing evil things. They want justice and even more precisely judgment on those who have treated African-Americans as if they were less than human. 
Newsflash. Judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. That's counterintuitive to some people because when they see evil in the world, they have a, 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 really a rational response. Let's go get the evil. Let's go, let's go judge the evil. But the scripture tells us that step one is to first bring judgment to the house of God. Many of you by now know that I'm a basketball fan. Uh, I know we counted my Lakers out. Some people counted my Lakers out, but I always counted them in. Okay, and in light of that fan, that basketball fandom, I want you to think about a team we used to herald. We used to celebrate very highly, and that is the San Antonio Spurs. You know, with the San Antonio Spurs, they were also famous and they're also a, a very storied franchise. And one of the things that is remarkable about the Spurs is coach Greg Popovich, who is known to be the hardest on his best player. It was it was well known that 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 Greg Popovich, he would always publicly critique Tim Duncan, his best player. Why? Because if if he can dish it to Timmy, then everybody else had to take it too. If the best player was subject to critique and judgment and being held to high standards, certainly Manu Ginobili, certainly, cer- certainly Parker, certainly all the other uh, members of the team had to be subject to the same judgment. God thinks the same way. Go to 1 Peter 4.17. It says this, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Right? It begins with us because if we uphold the standard, it sets the tone for everybody else. You see, it may seem obvious, but I need to state this, especially since this goes online and anybody can watch it. Let me tell you something. This sermon is for Christians. Now, I hope by the end of this message, you might be compelled to be a follower of Jesus. But in terms of the expectations I'm holding, the expectation is that this is a a, an audience who is following Jesus. More specifically, this sermon is for Christians who consider the Bible to be God's word and to hold authority over their moral decisions. It's quite all right if you profess Christianity and you say, well, the Bible is figurative and it's a bunch of stories and I take some moral lessons for it, but I don't look at it chapter and verse. That's fine. I'm not talking to you. I am talking to people for whom, as followers of Jesus, the word of God is a standard for justice. And if that's true, there are some expectations that it holds for us. My focus is on people who have forsaken all to follow Jesus. This is his expectation. When you are a true servant of God, you are repentant. When you hear God's word and not defensive. Repentant and not defensive. 
Now, listen, I, I've said this before, you know, I compare my, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a doctor of philosophy in English literature, I'm not a medical doctor, but certainly if you go to a medical doctor, you want your doctor to be honest and to give you your diagnosis regardless of how you feel about it. Could you imagine a doctor saying, well, I want to tell you what my diagnosis is, but you might be upset by what I say, or you might be sad, or you might get upset with me, or you may not like me anymore. That would be a silly rationalization. In fact, if your doctor did that, you would sue them for malpractice. That doctor is responsible for diagnosing the issue and telling you about it. And in fact, they may even tell you that the procedure you have to go through might even be painful. It might make you cry. But I'm holding my responsibility as a doctor. That's what that person would say. And same here. You know, it's tough to be a mailman. You know what I'm saying? People, you know, they got, they send out their dogs. You know, they send out their dogs to the, to the yard and some people close their mailboxes. But all that postal office worker is trying to do is deliver the mail. That's my job today, to deliver the mail. I know the post office has been dealing with some issues. They're not the only people delivering messages that have to deal with a hostile world. Let's continue. I want to give you some examples here with respect to our responsiveness as believers to the word of God. When the world presents one standard of responding to justice, the scripture presents another. And as followers of Jesus, we have to be responsive. And if we are not in line with it, repentant, repentant. Really quickly, we're going to look at the the person of Josiah, who was a young king who loved the Lord and his nation had not been following God. In fact, they had forgotten the laws of God and the law of God itself had been packed away. People didn't even know it was it was somewhere people couldn't see. And what happened was he had his 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 the people who worked for him do some investigation for some other things. They were looking into the treasury and when they were looking into the treasury, they found the law of the Lord. And when Josiah saw the law of the Lord and said what it read for himself, this is what happened. Second Chronicles 34, 19, it says this, and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Do you know why? Because the people were not living the words of the law. They were God's people. They called themselves that, but they weren't living the law. But when he heard what God actually wanted from them, he tore his clothes, basically saying, my God, we've got to change our approach. Let's continue. Second Chronicles 34, 27. It's, and God is speaking to Josiah because of his heart for him. He says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Do you hear that? Do you read that? He wept before the Lord when he heard the word because he was so hurt at how far away he was from God's expectation. Remember what we said at the beginning? Judgment begins at the house of God. Let's continue here. 
We see the children of Israel and in the book of Nehemiah, when they were exiled and they were trying to go back and rebuild the temple and they had spent so much time away from the, the so, so what happened was in exile, they, they didn't continue to follow the ways of the Lord the way they should have. And they were going back to the building, but they hadn't changed their actual practices. And so what happened, you had Ezra in the book of Nehemiah had to read the law to the people to remind them of what God wanted. You know, it's funny, we live in a society where the world is setting the expectation for how we respond to injustice. We don't take our cues from them. We got to take our cues from the word, from Jesus. And so Ezra is reading the scripture and it goes this, this way in Nehemiah 8, 2 through 3, it says this. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. In other words, they didn't have little babies and little toddlers and people who couldn't comprehend what was going on. He made sure there were people who could understand. It says on the first day of the seventh month, verse three, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. I mean, they had a long session, just like today. We're not going to go all day. I'm going a little bit longer than normal. You know, we recognize that there is potentially a diminished attention span when you're watching things online. But as Ezra and Nehemiah asked the people to sit through the reading of the word, I'm inviting you to sit through this extra 10, 15 minutes to hear the word of God because it is going to be medicine to our soul. For those who've been hurt by the things going on in the world, your, your heart has been broken, broken. The word of God is medicine. Medicine. And so they sat for half a day from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. I'm asking you to be attentive. I know you're watching online. I know you're not here in these comfortable seats in this air conditioned sanctuary. I know you're not present here. You're at home. Maybe your baby's crying. Maybe all kind of things are going on. But I'm asking you to be attentive. Why? Why? In Nehemiah, we say in the I'm going to say it again. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Continuing here in the same chapter, a few verses down, Nehemiah 8, 8 through 9, it says this. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly. Today, I'm going to be clear. This is why we're going to lay out the whole spread. You, you ever had those breakfasts when they had everything there? They had they had the Belgian waffles. They had the omelets. They had the sauces. They had the grits. They had we had to lay it out for you. They read from the book from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Verse nine and Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why is he telling them not to mourn or weep? Because they crying. They're weeping when they hear God's law. Look what it says. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. God's people need to weep when they hear the word of, the, of God and recognize that the way I've been approaching this, Lord, is all wrong. What is your way? We talked about this a few Sundays ago when we talked about the voting booth. People are concerned. They have attachments and loyalties to their political parties, to their unions, to their ideologies, but they don't have a loyalty to God. 
When we go to the to to, to the we, when we go to the voting booth or the figurative voting booth, if you're mailing it in, that should be our altar where we are laying down our political Isaacs and saying, Lord, I know what I think, but what do you think? And if what you think, Lord, is different from mine, I will lay my political beliefs on the table and let you kill it and crucify it, and I will trust you. Let me tell you something. If you go to the voting booth, submit it to Jesus, you will have a peace that no election result can undo, that no election result can erase. Listen, God will take care of you regardless of who wins. That doesn't mean we don't take our responsibilities seriously to vote. You do your due diligence, but have peace. Vote and then leave the rest to the Lord. Let's continue here. You see, here's the reason why judgment begins at the house of God. See, we place too much emphasis on trying to change the world and not enough on behaving like Christ. I'm going to say that again. We place too much emphasis on trying to change the world and not enough on behaving like Christ. You see, the scripture tells us that our Christian character is a natural preserver and illuminator. Our Christian character is a natural preserver and illuminator. What does that mean? Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You've read this, heard this a lot. It says, talking to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. We know that a salt is a preservative. You are the salt of the earth. Jump down to verse 14. It says this. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So we are both salt, we preserve, and we are light. We provide illumination. When? When we act like Jesus. Verse 16, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. It only shines when we're acting like Jesus, and we can't act like Jesus if we don't do the things he asked us to do. If we don't respond to injustice the way he asked us to respond to injustice, we're going to get into that. You see, a starting point for addressing our current racial conflict is to call in the Christian police officers and the Christian protesters for a huddle. There's Christians on both sides of this equation. There's there's Christians on either side of the spectrum, right? We have to subscribe to the same standard. And nobody's going to think we're a Christian if we don't get together and say, hey, we're all accountable to a justice that's administered by Jesus Christ. How are we going to work that out? Because the scripture tells us in John 13, 35, it says this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, the only way they're going to know that we follow Jesus is if we have love for one another. Newsflash cops, some of the people that you're pulling over, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. Newsflash protesters, some of the police officers you're protesting, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ. The scripture says that we have to respond to them in a particular way. That if we can't even get along with our brothers and sisters, and you know, Corinthians talks about this. Not going to go there, but it talks about why do you take your brothers and sisters in Christ to court? 
You can't settle this out. You mean the world has to be your judge? The scripture says there's coming a day when you will judge angels and you can't judge this. I'm just talking to the Christians. The non-Christians, I don't know what they subscribe to. But if you are a believer, you have to subscribe to this. Whether you're wearing blue, whether you blue lives or black lives, whatever it is, if you're a believer, you've got to subscribe to Jesus' teaching. And who looks bad? See, see, when you, when, you, when, you, when you slander your brother and sister in Christ, you don't make them look bad. You make you look bad. You make Jesus look bad. We've got to find a way to engage with our brothers and sisters in Christ to demonstrate the way love should work. Our biggest witness will be when Christian protesters and police officers submit to Jesus, appeal to their common faith, and pursue practical steps forward in love. It starts with the church. It starts with the church. Wayward Citizens and wayward cops, they can be kept in check by Christian citizens and Christian cops if we just shine our light. Now, here's the other point that this brings out. You see, resistance to evil begins with submission to good. See, everybody wants to, when they see something evil, their first thought is, I'm going to fight that evil. Folks, that's step two. That's step two. Step one is submission to good. And the scripture lays this out. Look at this, James chapter four, verses six through seven. It says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. You ever see that before? I thought, just God just, I, I thought grace was just out there. It says he gives more grace. There's more grace. There's more grace. There's more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Do you see the correlation? The the resistance to the devil comes after submitting to God. It doesn't say then resist, but it's implied that there's a grace to resist evil. You ever hear, you you hear people out there today and they say, man, I'm tired of fighting injustice. I got to keep going, though. I got to keep going. You know, why, you know one reason why people get tired fighting injustice? Because they're fighting it in their own strength. There's no grace. It's, I'm going to work out salvation by my own hand. The people who abuse power, they didn't submit to God. Why do I have to? They weren't held by the standard. Why do I have, why do I have to? Because you're a Christian. Because you're a Christian. See, without submission to what is good, you will not have the moral authority nor the power to resist what is evil. Folks, good and evil are supernatural. You find injustice like it's a person. You know, you know, you, you know they, they bring their left hook, I'm going to bring my right hook. I'm, I'm going to stop them. You're fighting something supernatural. It comes from the devil. And there will be no power to resist the works of the devil without the power that comes from submitting to the good. Submission is the hard truth that confronts us, and our difficulty with it has two aspects. Number one, 
Righteousness and justice begin and end with Jesus. We talked about that last week. And number two, we do not naturally prefer his standard of right and wrong. We don't naturally prefer it. We want to get angry. And angry, anger is a natural emotion. But we can't elevate the emotion of anger above the knowledge of God. We can't elevate the emotion of fear against over the knowledge of God. You know, the spirit of fear, what it does is it takes the emotion of fear and elevates the emotion of fear above the knowledge of God to challenge God's credibility. The spirit of anger takes the emotion of anger and exalts it above the knowledge of God to challenge God's credibility. Well, God can't handle it. I got to do it. God didn't respond. I got to get out there and make it happen. That's the devil talking to you. That's the devil talking to you. See, our biggest temptation is to turn to the flesh when our buttons are pressed emotionally, politically, and culturally. It's a temptation. It's a temptation. All of our buttons, they get pressed, and you want to say something, do something in the flesh. But what does Colossians say? We talked about this last week, Colossians 3, verses 8 through 11. It says, but now you must put them all away. You must put them, why is it saying putting them all away? Because it's all natural to our human condition. But you must put them all away. What? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Why? You're a Christian. We're Christians. That's not the character of Christ. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It, it's fashionable to let your anger do be the primary motivation. A Christian doesn't. In fact, God is slow to anger. The scripture tells us that. If God is slow to anger, who are you to be quick-tempered with anybody? God takes it. When God expresses his anger, you done done something. But if God is slow to get angry, why are you quick-tempered? Have you put yourself before God? So, 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 so I, I know it's tough because we say, well, the person who offended me, they're slandering, they're getting angry, they're doing all these things. But guess what? If you're a Christian, here's the deal. That last part of that passage says that we have to be renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. Check this out. The image of God, Dr. Bernard talked about this when he was here several, uh, a few months ago. The image of God is a status assigned to us by God. It's a status. You know, I've never been in the military, but what I do see, at least from the movies, but also from people I know, right? When you have a person of rank, and you're of a lower rank, and they come in the room, you got to salute them. It doesn't matter if you like them, if they did something right or wrong, or whatever it is, if they're a higher-ranking officer, you've got to salute them. Newsflash, every human has a status. It's called image bearer. And regardless of who they are, the most wayward criminal and the most wayward cop are made in the image of God. 
The most wayward civilian and the most wayward law enforcement officer are made in the image of God. It has to be respected if you're a Christian. I mean, it should be respected by everybody, even if you're not. But if you're a Christian, you should know this. What is confusing about this is that though we're all made in the image of God, we're not all renewed in that knowledge, as Colossians talked about. Consequently, many of us act in a manner that is beneath our status. So you have people, they're not acting like they're a child of God. You know, I was telling the young people, I said, look, if you slander my kids, you don't respect me. You can't say you like me. You respect me and you slander my kids. You may not like them. Maybe they get in your nerves, but you're not, you, 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 you'll say it. You communicate that to me in some respectful way, but you're not just going to slander them. Well, every person alive is who? God's kids. When you talk about them a certain kind of way, you're talking about his kids. You think you love your kids more than he loves his kids? And some people got some bad kids, and they still love them. They can, I, I can talk to them, but you can't talk about them. You think God doesn't care about his kids? You better put some respect on that name. You better put some, when you see a human being. We even have laws in our country. You can't have cruel and unusual punishment. Even a criminal is required to have a certain level of decency. However, as, as followers of Christ, we must honor the status of the image even when people act unworthy of it. That is why the scripture commands us to refrain from toxic emotions centered in resentment. Toxic emotions centered in resentment. Colossians talked about it. I'm going to break it down just a little bit. I, I, I didn't even get into the Greek here. I'm just looking at the dictionary definitions. What does it say for anger from dictionary.com? A strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Wrath. This is things the Bible tells Christians to stay away from. Strong, vengeful anger or indignation. Malice. Here's the one. The intention or desire to do evil or ill will. There's some people you hate so much, you dream about bad things happening to them. That's malice. That's malice. That's evil. That's not Christian. Slander. The action or a crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. It's one thing to address injustice. It's another thing to make it personal against somebody. That's not what we do. We don't slander. I'm against injustice. I'm not against cops. I'm not against cops. I'm against injustice. I address the wrong actions. I address uh, racist policies and biases, but I'm not against cops. The Bible's not against cops. Obscene talking. Some people love to curse. They say, well, I don't care, you know, they did blankety, 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 blank, and blankety, blank, you know, because they did such and such. So blankety, blankety, blank, and I don't care. And, uh, uh, 
obscene talking, extremely offensive words or expressions. Some people's too comfortable with this. And you think it's okay because they did something offensive and they weren't submitted to the laws of God. God's not going to judge you talking about what they did. His conversation at the judgment seat is going to be you and him. In addressing injustice, we must distinguish between personal anger and righteous hate. Personal anger and righteous hate. Righteous hate comes from a passion for divine justice and is affiliated with the following. These are the things you can do, right? These are the things that are completely consistent with a Christian life. Protest, public criticism of injustice, holding institutions accountable for justice, challenging abuses of power, challenging unjust laws and protocols, holding law enforcement officers to decisions that are legal, moral, and ethical, making sure evildoers are justly punished. That's righteous hate, hate of evil, not people. But personal anger comes from a passion for personal vengeance and is affiliated with the following. Retaliation. Personal attacks. Personal vendettas. A vendetta is when it's almost like you have a feud between a family or like gang members and you you hurt one of mine, I'm going to hurt one of yours. It's people like that. Cops and protesters. It's it's, it's cops who personally, they just they see somebody BLM, they see somebody Africa, they just they just angry because they, they, they don't like the fact that people are saying things about their profession. They don't think it's fair, et cetera, et cetera. So they take it out personally on people. Guess what? There's protesters who do the same. <laughs> they don't they don't like what they see in the media. So they just hate every cop. If I see a cop, I'm going to just if I see a cop, I'm going to just that's a vendetta. You know, it's funny. You know, African-Americans don't like it when people take media and statistics and use it to slander us. We hate it. We're offended. We call it racist. You can't take the, you know, you can't, don't talk about black-on-black crime. Don't talk about uh, uh, the stuff that's happening in urban communities and the poverty. Don't bring those statistics up. What does that have to do with me? What does what you see in the media have to do with me? And we get angry. But then we do it to the cops. We take what we see in the media and we take statistics and we say, you a cop, I don't like you. We can't do that. We got to address the injustice that is, but you can't say every single cop I see, I'm going to have slander. I'm going to disrespect. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. When the one instance we point of Jesus showing his anger was not his personal anger. It was people were desecrating the temple of his father. And that's why he expressed anger. It was never personal offenses. You know how many times Jesus could have got, I mean, you know how people, how many times people got on Jesus' nerves? Did he ever lash out at them personally? No. Let's continue. Personal anger is directed at a person. Well, let me continue. We said 
personal venditas. We said bloodlust. Some people, you are hungry. You want the, uh, the, the people accused to suffer. It's not a, you, you want them to get the worst punishment. That's, you just, whoo, you just, you can't wait till they just, whoo, yeah. I just want them to just go down. I want them, I want them, I want them to be in prison for life. I want them to go to the death. I just, you just looking forward to it. You just, whoo, you just can't wait. That's ungodly. Holding resentment, slander, holding ill will and plotting evil in response to a wrong suffered. That's not a Christian way. Personal anger is directed at a person and is a byproduct of the fear of man. Why? Because it presumes that good and evil rest in the realm of the human and that human evil can be defeated by human good. Listen, it is righteous to seek the punishment of evildoers, but it is unrighteous to root for their demise. I'm going to read a passage of scripture that I didn't even know was in the Bible for a long time. When I read this, I said, okay. Proverbs 24, 17 through 18. What does it say? Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Because check it out, verse 18. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. You know what that says? Your gloating over an evildoer's suffering is more egregious to God than what they did. Some of y'all going to mess around and the person you don't want to be in office going to be in office. Because you, 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 you just, just, you can't wait for something bad to happen to them. And God's like, all right. I see, I see you. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, 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 I'll let them have four years or give them another four years, whoever you think is the evil one. Because <laughs> you're gloating. And it's, it's some people, their blood pressure is high. They can't hardly sleep. They just want, they, ooh, they dream about bad things happening to people they don't like. When we gloat over other people's punishment, we are glorying in our own goodness. See, the challenge is that human good is not good. Romans 3.10 says this, as it is written, none is righteous and no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not one of us in our, none of us can stand before God in our own righteousness. So we don't have, we're not in a place to, to tell who, to send anybody to hell. Only God can do that. Only God is good. Righteous hate is different than personal anger. Why? Because it is directed at injustice itself and is a byproduct of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13, it says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. You know, if you really hate injustice, you hate the injustices you do. If you really hate evil, you hate the evil in your heart. That's why judgment begins where? In the house of God. It begins in the house of God. We're almost done, folks. I got to break something down for you. 
We read, this, we read this passage of Scripture. I'm going to come to it again so we understand it. People who fear the Lord know that good and evil are supernatural, not human. This means that when God-fearing people approach a police officer, they know they are engaging in something that is supernatural and not merely human. You're not respecting a cop. You're respecting God. That's why you, not because they have a gun. That's not why you respect them. I mean, that might be an additional motivation. But you respect a police officer because we're going to see it. They're ministers of God. Right? Why? All authority is supernatural. The source of all authority is divine. Hence, engaging with authority, well, whether to wield it or submit to it, requires knowledge of divine principles. That's why it's counterintuitive. That's why, you know, the, Jesus says, love your enemies. That doesn't make any sense. It only makes sense if you understand the reality of a supernatural world. Look at Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. This is what this means. When it says every person, every person means that even authority figures are subject to the governing authorities. So even the police officers are subject to authority. The president is subject to authority. Now, you may question that today. That may be something you question. But, and I know things have gotten crazy in the American political system, but the reality is President Trump is subject to authority. Congress is subject to authority. The Supreme Court is subject to authority. Everybody is. Nobody gets off. Nobody can just be a free moral agent. I mean, no one can just be free from being subject to God's justice. Everybody is subject to authority. And you don't get to leave it because the person who abused the authority is not acting Right. I know you got questions. I'm going to get to that. Since there is no authority that has not been established by God, every person is subject to the justice of God. Every person. Cops and civilians. President and citizens. Congress and voters. Supreme Court justices. They're subject to the justice of God. This is what validates protest against injustice. This is why protest is valid. Why? Because protests are part of a prophetic tradition that indicts people and institutions for violating God's justice in the public sphere. Prophets would do it all the time. Isaiah, Jeremiah, I mean, what they said was written down, but at some point they were, they were just shouting it out in public. And it's God's way of saying this is wrong. They, the, the, the prophets were messengers telling people about God's justice. And protest is part of that prophetic uh, uh, tradition. But you got to do it in the right spirit. You got to say the words God asked you to say. Not the first thing that necessarily comes to your mind. <clears throat> Romans 13, 2. It says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. You're incurring the judgment of God when you ignore authorities he's created. That means to resist authority of any kind is to resist God. Now, here's the caveat, and I'm going to get into this more next week, which is the close of this this series. Remember that the biblical command to submit to authority is to authority and not to abuse. 
This whole time I'm talking, when, it, when the scripture is talking about submitting to authority, it's not saying submit to abuse. How do we know that? Because we have authorities that will take a child out of a home. I know the Bible says honor your mother and father, but look, when there is abuse, that changes the context. <laughs> when there's abuse, it changes the context. We're going to talk about that context next week. But see, I can't even get to that part yet. If we don't understand, I got to first submit to the good. Then I have the grace to resist evil. We want to skip the submit to the good step and just resist evil. There's no grace yet. You got to submit to the good. Let's continue. Romans 13, 4 through 6. It says, for he is God's servant. Talking about cops. They weren't cops then. They were Roman soldiers. Okay. For your good. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Folks, I'm going to break some people's hearts today, but I'm, this is biblical. This is why I don't support defunding the police. This is why I don't. I'm just pointing this out because I don't see God supporting that. He says that they don't bear the sword in vain. Because of this scripture, I can't support defunding. I can support reform. But just saying cops don't have a purpose, God thinks they do. The scripture says that they do. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Again, we have to do this not because they have a gun, but because we respect God. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So here's the thing we get from this. The scripture is clear. Law enforcement officers are servants and ministers of God. The scripture calls law enforcement officers servants and ministers of God. Many of you, uh, you know, some people are disrespecting the church more these days. But if you see a minister, you're kind of like, OK, let me give you some benefit of the doubt. You're a minister, right? Just like that, you got to treat officers the same way, according to Scripture. They are ministers. Now, they may not act like it. They may not even think they are. But law enforcement is God's institution, just like the church is. When law enforcement officers wield authority or use force, they are expressing God's wrath against evildoers. Because look, just like you have Wayward cops that do evil. You got civilians who do evil. I'm all for being creative in all the ways we can respond to things. It may not always require a police officer. Maybe it's a mental health care worker, whatever it is. But the Bible is saying that when law enforcement officers use their means to address evil, they, is, they are expressing God's wrath against people who do wrong. Almost done. Almost done. For the sake of conscience means we, we should respect law enforcement officers, not because they have weapons, but because we want to honor God. Romans 13, 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. 
Abuse of power does not invalidate the honor we owe to people who wield authority. If that's true, then we need to defund government and tax collectors and the church and every institution that's ever abused power. We need to defund them. If that's true, that's not God's approach. We know the church has had abuses. God's never shut down the church, never asked for it. This is a difficult pill to swallow, but here's the promise of Scripture, Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, when a man's ways please the Lord, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's that grace. That's the grace. When we please the Lord, God gives us a grace to deal with the enemies. Here's the million-dollar question. Everybody's asking, I know, this is next week. Resistance to authority is ungodly. I'm I'm hearing you say it, but so is the abuse of power. The abuse of power is not less ungodly than this other stuff. What about that? How do you resist abuse while honoring authority? Come back next week, we'll answer that question. Let's pray.